Hi, this is Dr. Josh. And Dr. Doug. And this is our 15th uh, podcast in a series of podcasts where we explain um, everything about DPC, direct primary care. We answer questions that we get from physicians on Twitter or by email or phone call. Uh, we've had a lot happening in the last couple of weeks since our 14th podcast. We've been able to have a couple residents come by and shadow us. Uh, we just had Luke here for the last three days from uh, Springfield, Missouri, and that was wonderful to be able to uh, show a resident who's going to go back again to his peers and explain everything that we do, and he's looking forward to starting a practice like this in 18 months when he graduates. And the nice thing about having a, a resident or somebody that you're teaching in a model like this is, uh, you know, you, you look at my Monday schedule and I saw nine patients, a very heavy day. The rest of the week, I saw nine more. So I actually had time to explain things to him and talk to him about uh, various physical exam diagnoses and walk him through differentials uh, and really engage him instead of just going from one patient to the next and hoping that at the end of the day or maybe that night, possibly we could follow up on a patient that is kind of starting to be in distant memory. So it, it really does help the education process in that we have more time to actually engage and talk. Along those lines, we had another resident from Minnesota email and ask if he should come out of residency and work for a couple of years to build a, some experience, or if he would have the time to research things and read on up to date if he came right out of residency into a, a DPC practice. And of course, we feel that the value of this model is that we have a lot more time for those things like Doug mentioned. Um, but. We've also uh, spoke with a lot of students, a, a group of econ students from Stanford had a whole project on direct primary care, concierge medicine, and we were able to spend a couple hours with them on the phone answering questions, so very exciting. And Josh was down in uh, Louisville, Kentucky recently, plans to go to Atlanta in May, and I'm actually going to be going to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, for the AAPS in May as well. Uh, to talk in a uh, panel again about uh, direct primary care and our uh, specific take on it. A really big one for me though was going out to uh, San Diego here just several weeks ago to speak with a fairly small group of um, thinkers and, and movers in the family medicine world uh, at the Future of Family Medicine Project 2.0. And a big thing that we, a uh, big issue that we talked about, of course, was where is family medicine going to be in 2020? That was the theme. Where are we going to be in six years? And six years doesn't seem like a long time, but you know, for people that are just starting medicine uh, in training uh, in med school, well, it's going to take them seven years to actually get through with a family medicine degree. So six years going to be here. Six years will be here. Uh, very, very soon. So a lot of people understood a third-payer free sort of a system, but some people still wanted uh, employer-paid uh, type positions where physicians work for big hospital groups. Uh, some favored more of a blended model. Um, if nothing else, I walked away from that meeting leaving them with the thought that insurance or third-party payers as a base payment system for primary care really can't last. You know, ICD-10 is coming down the pipe. Doctors are 
getting more and more frustrated. As a matter of fact, we just had a physician we helped transition down in New Mexico, uh, has been practicing medicine for quite a while and said for the last 15 years, he hasn't enjoyed it. It's actually seemed like a job. And for the last four or five years, it's been a really bad job. But for the last couple of weeks, he's been in a direct care model, seeing a small number of patients per day, but really getting quality time with them. He says, now he loves practicing medicine again. Where he was going to retire, he says he could do this model for 20 more years. And that's the, that's the reason we do this. It's very exciting to hear that. Um, and we've heard that more than once. He's, he's not an isolated uh, case. Uh, he, he really, truly does enjoy doing what he does again. In, in medicine, we know spending time with patients is what it's all about. So that's what we have to offer. So we uh, sent out uh, <clears throat> a request for... Uh, questions through Twitter and Sermo and a couple other sources. We got a lot of great questions back for today. Um, one of the doctors asked for an update on the number of patients we have per provider. I think right now we're just a little over 1,500. Yep. So uh, I have about 550. Mm-hmm. I'm somewhere uh, about 510, and Dr. Michael is uh, somewhere the in, the, yeah, in, the, in the 410, 415 range. Um, but, you know, remember... Uh, Michael came on just in May, and his numbers. May six. Yeah, so he, he he's he's grown incredibly rapidly. But even with that growth, he's never felt overwhelmed because his daily patient census has every single day always been less than what the average family doctor sees in a typical model. So even with a growth rate like that, being essentially being full in less than a year, he has never seen more patients than he was seeing as an independently practicing doctor in the insurance model. And everyone always asks, can doctors take vacation in this model? In fact, Doug and Michael have both taken vacations uh, in the last couple of weeks, and it works out very well for the other doctors just to cover it for them. So um, very doable model. So one of the questions was, uh, how do we uh, contact or get deals with imaging and lab providers? Uh, currently, we are working with LabCorp and Quest both for more of a natural uh, or a national release uh, in our software. Uh, of course, they're more um, on a broad scale. We currently use AMS Lab, which is actually a local uh, hospital-run lab, uh, but we are working with uh, some national labs, and we also, uh, on a local scale, have worked with imaging companies. Uh, by and large, you'll find that uh, other specialist office like orthopedic offices um, will have imaging capabilities and as we know if your equipment sits idle it's not generating any revenue so uh, a local orthopedic office will do plain films uh, of joints and uh, extremities uh, etc for 25 to 30 dollars with a read so that's definitely possible even in your community in fact I heard of Uh, a city, or I'm sorry, a hospital in Oklahoma that is offering MRIs for $299, cash price up front, and they'll even give a $25 cash um, or gasoline card to any patient traveling more than, uh, I think, 50 miles away. So very interesting how the market responds. And I think that's a big question that a lot of people have is, well, we tried the free market and it failed. 
obviously we never really tried the free market to, to its fullest extent. We tried the free market utilizing third party payers. That doesn't work. We have shown that third, the, the free market system will and can work. So a lot of the questions we've been getting uh, revolves around the uh, question of startup costs. And of course, uh, that's always very difficult because the best answer is it depends. But our startup costs were probably worst case scenario, and we say that affectionately, but that we built new, we bought new, we went high end, we were fresh out of residency, so we didn't have anything uh, that you know, from an existing practice that we can convert over. And we could have bought used, but we made the decision not to at the time. Uh, I think we're able to help doctors figure out how to do a model like this on any budget. Uh, there's a, but there's a big difference between being cheap and, and being affordable. You definitely want to design a model that looks high quality and uh, organized, but that doesn't mean it has to be expensive. And so we can work within any budget. A lot of doctors converting a practice already have the equipment and the location and the staff, so their startup costs are very different. So <clears throat> I think we're very confident after all the doctors we've helped look at and price out a transition model for themselves, the startup cost can really fall into a wide range of, uh, uh, of budgets. So don't let that stop you from looking at this. Uh, one of the ways you can minimize your startup cost is by pre-enrolling. Set up your website, set up your value proposition, start talking to businesses and say when you have 300 patients you'll convert. So that gives you a lot of flexibility but those early adopters are also motivated to tell their friends and family because they want to see you hit that um, specific number so that you can actually launch. And that way you can actually start uh, in a cash positive way right from the beginning. Some people ask how we market and everybody's different. Some people, that would be Josh. Sorry. Some people ask, uh, you know, how, how do we do it? And, and it really varies. It, it's how much market penetration do you have? How many people do you know? Uh, you can use Facebook and Twitter to really help improve the market reach that you have and answer some questions of people. Uh, but some of it's just pounding the pavement. You know, somebody might have... Uh, a human resources manager that they know and they would really like to uh, have you go and talk to them about what you're doing. Uh, the more you get to know different people, the better off you will be uh, furthering your model. And the nice thing is the more people uh, that prove this model works, the easier Better. sales pitch is. Yeah. And so that's why we do all the, the um, free consulting that we do uh, because we, we know that every doc needs to be successful in this model to improve the strength of it, and that requires docs knowing what works and what doesn't. But the best marketing strategy is just a business model that sells itself. Then after that, things like radio or print or pounding the pavement are infinitely more effective because if you can have a very simple easy to understand model that with a high cost or I'm sorry a high value and a low cost and people can explain it to each other well that word of mouth is going to spread like wildfire they're going to be very happy and they're going to tell their friends and their family and their employers so a business model that sells itself is the best advertising you can do anything else anything else after that social media print radio 
will be much more effective. So now to the, the meat of the podcast, so to speak. What we would like to talk about is something that we've essentially talked about in most every other podcast, but never really all at once. It's our elevator pitch. If somebody says, tell me what you do in just a few minutes. What's give, the give, voodoo that you do? Yeah, what, what's the 40,000-foot view of what you do, why you do it, why you wanted to, why it works? So it's what we tell every doctor that calls, every conference that we go to, it's basically the same thing that we say. So we just wanted to kind of give that, that speech to you guys to let you know what it is we say in one succinct bit. So um, we started Atlas MD in <clears throat> September 2nd, 2010, with the idea that insurance complicates more things than it helps. That's not really a big surprise for most physicians. You, you don't have car insurance for gasoline. Why have health insurance for family medicine? Now the caveat to that is you have to be able to make family medicine affordable like gasoline, tires, oil changes. And we felt very confidently that we could bring down the cost of a lot of care by removing the biggest obstacle, which is red tape. So by and large, the clinic or the idea or the model that cuts the most red tape wins. Look at ICD-10 versus ICD-9. More red tape. It's not going to be beneficial. It's actually going to be a giant headache. So by cutting that out entirely, you automatically cut an enormous amount of red tape. It basically puts patients back in with the physician and that's it. One of Josh's patients actually said it best, what I love most about Atlas MD is there are only two moving parts, me and the doctor. That's it. I don't have to go through someone else. I don't have to worry about paperwork. I can call, text, email, or just visit with the doctor and know what's going on and know that there's a personal connection there that I otherwise wouldn't get. So good business is value creation. And the goal behind a direct care model is to create so much value that it more than pays for the cost of the membership. So one of the things we did, and this is something common in software development, uh, look at a pain point and work yourself back from the customer experience. And, and that's what we did. We said, what is bothering the customers? Well, it's limited number of visits. It's co-pays. It's the cost of procedures. It's trouble uh, accessing medications and lab testings. So we really focused on building a model that allows us to offer flat prices uh, based on age only because no one likes to feel like they're being charged more because they're sicker. And then we offered unlimited <clears throat> home visits, work visits, office visits, and technology visits. Now that we're not limited by how insurance will pay us, we're not limited in how we can see our patients. That's a huge value for a busy individual to be able to access, access their doctor again in ways that are much more convenient to their schedule. And we all know how to do this. You know, Marcus Welby, if he was empowered with an iPhone, would be a wonderful doctor. Well, that's what we've done. Give patients time and you'll take good care of them. So our goal was to essentially roll the clock back to what physicians, family physicians especially, but primary care uh, as well, roll it back to what people went into medicine to do. Take care of patients, spend time with them, get to know with them, and really feel like you care for them and not just feel like they're another 
seven minute appointment that uh, you again with another URI, we really get to know our patients and bring medicine back to what it should be. The only way you can do that is remove insurance as a payer. Plumbers, electricians, mechanics, any industry out there that has a service to provide bills the customer for the service. And that actually helps keep the, the price down because then you're guaranteed that you're paid for all of the work that you do. It also minimizes the overhead of doing your job. One of the barriers to care is co-pays. So we're able to eliminate the co-pays in a model like this, which means that patients can maximize their opportunities for good health. Now they don't have to manage things by email uh, when an office visit is required because they lack the, the money for the copay. So that opens up a significant amount of care opportunities for our patients. Furthermore, we continue to add value by eliminating the cost of procedures in our clinic. EKG pads are three and a half cents. We can absorb that as the cost of doing business. Not a problem. And so now it's a very high value service to the patient that they get for free when they're worried about their health. And that's true for laceration repair, biopsies, joint injections, ultrasounds, EKGs, holters, spirometries, DEXAs, audiometry, urinalysis, cryotherapy, lesion removals. Those are all very affordable for us to do for our patients, but at very high value. So obviously what we've talked about too with laboratory work, medications, imaging, those are very important. A lot of physicians worry about dispensing medicines because it seems like something that would be a lot of work. To be honest, it did seem like a lot of work until we created a system and software as a solution to where it wasn't. We order in medicines and dispense it to patients. I actually had a new patient within just this month that actually had to leave the clinic after he got his medicines a little tearful because he thought when I told him his prescriptions prescription for a month worth of medicine was 74 cents, he thought I meant 74 cents a pill. When it was only 74 cents for the entire month's worth of medication, he actually broke down and said he had to leave because he was just too overwhelmed with what we were offering him. And that's something that how many people leave your clinic so happy they're actually tearful? They just don't know how to thank you for the value that you've given back to them. And so now you can justify a membership price because you're bringing so much value to the patient. You're saving them more than they're spending. And we really want to be bold and say that good doctor-patient advocacy now means embracing sound business principles that says we're going to do good medicine and good business and make the two blend in such a way that it embraces healthier patients. So now they have access to wholesale medications and lab tests for up to 95% savings. So they have very little low uh, risk in getting extra health care and getting meds and labs that they need done to stay on top of their conditions. But even more important is the fact that now they need less insurance. They don't have to pay $800 a month to be able to get a $3 thyroid test. You don't need to insure family medicine because what we can do is very high value but low cost. And that's the direction we want to move. So as we pitch to employers, to patients, to insurance companies, we're helping educate them to show that 
what we do is minimize the cost, the paperwork, the red tape, the hassle, while improving access and quality. That's what direct primary care brings to the country. And if you were able to remove the, the cost and burden of insurance and red tape on all of the things that we do, everything that falls under the umbrella of direct primary care, you really can make a paradigm shift in medicine. And we believe that 80% of family doctors will be direct primary care physicians within the next three to five years because all of health reform coming down the pipe is making our job more difficult. We talked to some physicians in Utah and their office manager said she's run the books. There's no way that they can afford to stay open uh, after October 1st when ICD-10 hits. It's just, it's it's not there. You can only game the system so much. And so they're going to look at either changing to direct primary care or closing their practice. Well, obviously they need to go to direct primary care because patients still need their doctor. Um, and that's infinitely better than leaving the practice of medicine altogether. So as we listen to docs across the country or on CERMO, on on other um, social media feeds who are talking about retiring, we have to emphasize that direct primary care is a safe haven for doctors, patients, employers, and even insurance companies. And I know that's hard for docs to accept. Yes, we're frustrated with what insurance companies have done over the last couple of decades, but at the same time, insurance has a purpose. Car insurance, home insurance, life insurance. I want it for something. Uh, I just, I need it to be used more efficiently. I want health insurance for family medicine, or I'm sorry, for cancers, car wrecks, heart attacks, but I don't need it for outpatient care. And if we minimize that, we change the cost structure of your insurance premiums drastically. So we know that a top-down change really can't work. It This has to be something that physicians appreciate and can model after. What I mean by that, really, is how is it that something that starts with people that don't practice medicine every day, live it, breathe it, can know what really needs to be changed? So access to care, really, access to care in this country is not the problem. Paying for it is. So when we look at someone needing their blood pressure checked, anyone can go to a fire department and have it checked. What we're talking about is how do we cover it? Well, having insurance coverage, if you sign up for the Affordable Care Act with the bronze plan, you still have to find a doctor that accepts it. Look at Medicare patients. There are patients that have Medicare and can't find a doctor. We're not talking about coverage, we're talking about care. Coverage is a card in your wallet. Care is sitting down with a provider. They are very distinctly different things. So we wanted to make sure that everyone had basically this general information. Of course, we have made talks last for quite a while. When we were at the AAFP Scientific Assembly in San Diego, we started speaking about 45 minutes early to some people that had questions, talked up to our allotted time, spoke for the 45 minutes we were supposed to, and then answered questions for the next three hours. We know you have questions. We know you want a different option. We embrace the fact that this is the case and we want to help you. So uh, use everything that we've said to your benefit. Please call, text, email. 
if you want to have any, if you have any questions, uh, please email us at hello at atlas.md. Uh, also, if you're interested in changing to direct primary care as a provider, or if you are a uh, patient listening to this, always go to IWantDirectCare.com. Uh, if you're a physician looking for something different to do, how do we make our clinic work? How do we bill and ship and dispense medicines and annotate without ICD codes? How do we do that? Well, check out our EMR at atlas.md. Uh, I think next time we're going to talk about how do current physicians who are either burnt out, tired of doing what they're doing, or looking for a different option, how do they transition into a different model? So we're going to talk about we've how to transition. We've out that whole process. Yeah, um, and, and we've helped several physicians do it successfully. Uh, obviously, we're not, we're, we're not the only ones doing it, but I will say that we're, if not the only one of the only clinics that has wrapped up all of the uh, pieces of the pie, the medical record, labs, meds, imaging, insurance, mm-hmm. clinic model, all of those things put together make a, a successful uh, clinic model. So um, please contact us if you'd like, uh, and we'll look to talking about transition in the uh, next podcast. Hey, thanks a lot.